0: You are now listening to the Dream Loud podcast. Join us as we explore the significance of following your dreams. We hope you'll enjoy the ride. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dream Loud podcast. This is part two in Canada, Saskatchewan. Tarenport, I believe, is the city where we're in. Town, I guess I should call it. And this is the second episode I'm doing here in our hotel room with Zach Lees, because we're here to play a show with Lacey Sturm. Episode city over here, man. It is, man. We're just getting as many done as we can. Uh, So you would have heard this last week, but if you didn't check out the episode, we went through the detailed story of what happened when we went to Oslo, Norway, and Man, let me tell you, it was quite an adventure. It was. So if you're up for hearing a ridiculous story and how it worked out in the end, please go tune into that episode. But today we figured we'd talk about a a little bit more musical type of things and just give some advice out there in general. So Zach asked me a question before we started the last episode, and he asked, uh, because my recording, my mobile rig right here, I'm talking in through a microphone going into a Steinberg audio interface into my um, my laptop computer, and he asked me, "So, what kind of things would I need to like just have like a a simple little mobile setup like you're doing to work on music and stuff like that?" So I figured, let's just turn this into an episode instead of just answering it there. You know, then that way we can share it, and I'm sure a lot of other people have the same questions too, like how can I get started? What's what's a good setup to have? And I think also with thinking in the future of like what can I build off of with that type of thing. So,
1: yeah, I think to, to give everyone an idea of, um, I'm going to act as you, um, on this side for the episode, yeah. uh, as the listeners, because, um, I, I have a lot that I can learn from Ben, um, being, being someone who owns, uh, you know, Dream Loud Studios, uh, Ben is, is very, uh, skilled in this, in this particular area of music. And, um, and I, I, to be frank, barely know a lick of what I'm doing. What, what I've pretty much done is I have begun on my cell phone uh, making GarageBand beats and yeah. and is actually amazing. So I know it sounds like really silly for me to talk like talk up GarageBand, but I'll tell you what, it's really not that many levels below Logic itself. No, um, it's it's pretty advanced nowadays. Like the plugins that it comes with and stuff, mm-hmm. you can make some pretty legit sounding things. Yeah. Um, but I'm there, I agree. and then and then I just started using Logic Pro X, and I'm only to the point to where I can strictly do. Program things, Ben. Yeah. And so, um, so anything that's in the software itself, um, I can utilize and make it sound terrific. Yeah. But anything coming from an external source, um, yeah. any mixing and mastering, even messing with like, uh, buses and, and anything, yeah. you know, like that, um, I'm, I get really lost in the sauce just because I'm, un- I'm uneducated and I'm, I'm a- unexperienced. And so sure. I want to use, take where I'm at. Let, let the listeners know where I am and let it let it be known that I'm trying to get almost at least to, to a level that Ben is at. Yeah. And so I'm asking questions geared that direction. Well, it sounds to me like you were probably in the same boat when I was your
0: age and I had just joined my old band, Big Atlantic. And the reason I got into mixing in the first place was I was – before I did mixing or recording of any sort – Uh, I was strictly just an instrumentalist and I would write riffs all the time. And so I either had to just play them until I would be able to recall them from memory or I was just recording them on my cell phone and just hoping that like it was good enough to get that captured sound so I could bring it to band practice. And then I thought, well, it's really hard to kind of iron out. The, The problem that I ran into was Whenever I would songwrite with my friends, um, it would so often turn into a jam session. So before, like, before I could get my full idea out of what my idea for a song was, the guitar player or drummer would hear it differently than what I was in my head because I was only playing my bass line, and so it would begin taking maybe a direction that I didn't want it to take. More often than not. Like, sometimes they would come up with something cooler than what I had. But the problem was is it so often turned into these really jammy type of sessions. And I was thinking, if I can learn how to record and mix, then I can complete more of an idea before I even bring it to the table.
1: Right. Were you the songwriter in your band, Big Atlantic?
0: No. Our, our guitar player... Now, I say no with a caveat because okay. our singer-guitar player, Lee Caruso was his name, is his name. He's not deceased. (laughs) (laughs) Still his name. Yeah, still his name. Um, he, He wrote the majority of the songs that were full songs, but we also equally collaborated on a lot of songs that we pretty much equally wrote together. Like we all had a hand in like what the chord progression was, what the riffs are, what the drums are playing, what the, maybe not so much the melodies, but what the lyrics are. Like we all really were equal contributors in that band. So the standpoint I was coming from was more that like, and I think this was the drummer in me, but when I'm songwriting, I'm kind of addicted to a lot of uh, variety. Like I want to hear, when I listen to an album, I want to hear a lot of variety in that album. Like I, I still want it to sound like the same album and the same band.
1: Right. Same theme.
0: Yes. But with different
1: But with variation. different things.
0: And one thing that annoys me a lot is because I play bass and I write music like a drummer. One thing that annoys me a lot about other musicians that I've played with is that oftentimes if a musician hasn't learned a percussi- or percussive instrument, uh, they'll fall into these rhythmic ruts and you'll notice that they'll play the same rhythms all the time. And that that's a probably an interesting or, or a unique thing about me is that when I was a, when I'm writing riffs, a lot of times it's just as important to me that the rhythm is cool and unique as it is the progressions that are happening.
1: But well, we talked about that when I first joined you guys. Uh the, my, the first episode I was with you guys for the the first one of the new year. Yeah. Um we talked about, you know, uh the thinking of the staff vertically and horizontally. Oh, yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. Vertically, you know, melodically speaking and horizontally, rhythmically speaking.
0: Yeah. They're it, both important. They are They're both, both esen- essential. Yeah. So what really encouraged me to learn production a lot more was uh, I'd bring a song to the table and then like the rhythmic ideas in my head would kind of be destroyed by the rest of the band because they'd fall into the ruts and just kind of do the same things that they would always do. Including the drummer. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. Um, so my idea was, well, when I bring a song to the table, I want it to be more developed so that they can, see, they can see what I'm feeling and that's what really got me into production in the first place is I want to fully, some of these songs I want to fully like explore before I bring just a riff to practice. Right. And from there, like the more I got into it, the more that I just loved it and just start going with it more. But I will say that like from a, even if you don't want to be a mixing engineer, it helps to have a working knowledge of this stuff because if you want to be a producer, help somebody else write their songs or even just be a live performer. It's a great way, a medium to be able to get your ideas down and be able to, if you know some techniques on mixing or, or have like a good setup uh, to just know really well that you can throw together and c- capture ideas, you're going to save yourself so much energy and reserve those energy resources to use on strictly the creativity.
1: Yeah, that's a really cool aspect to think of it as actually. And I and I didn't mean to ask you that that songwriting question as like a loaded question to, right. to bring a whole other aspect on, on how I think we can approach this conversation because I was just thinking of it as like a music engineer/producer standpoint. Right. But really, it comes in handy for songwriters too. And uh, and and so I guess I'm coming from the background of out of the four bands that I've been in in my life, three of the bands I wrote everything. Oh did you so everything uh um, mm-hmm. my first band we we wrote probably a total of like 26 songs mm-hmm. and none of them ever made it fully to recording we recorded about a third of an album yeah and because we were all like 15 year old kids all ran out of money and time and patience yeah and so just left it by the wayside and all those songs are the only remnants of them are on YouTube at live videos and stuff yeah um and they weren't really written with excellence anyway, but they were complicated for our age and stuff. So it was still kind of impressive. But, um, then the next, next two bands, you know, one was kind of like a introduction to a merger of two bands from Mm -hmm. when I left my band and, uh, you know, another group broke apart. A few members broke apart from their old band. And then like that was in a a band for a little while. And then we established it into, uh, what was to become insult to injury. And, um, and you know we we wrote some stuff that that was as the other band I created that yeah. turned into insult injuries music, but uh, with that band I technically wrote two full albums, mm-hmm. well an EP and then a full album with with them yeah all from my material, and then the last band that I was in bury that kingdom, uh I, I got to give props to the vocalist Zach Dunham he is. A mastermind when it comes to composing music and um i i I highly regarded myself as a as a as a metal music writer Mm -hmm. but uh i i couldn't compare to to the to the level um of stuff that he wrote um and so everything but the lyrics were all me for the for the other three bands for the most part and then um bury thy kingdom uh, although Zach was more than, more than definitely the, the mastermind behind it all, he tried to let us have our input. You know, the guitarists were both amazingly talented musicians, and I tried to keep up on the last album that we wrote. But to, together, we, we wrote one album, uh, one EP, but as a, as a band, they have a total of, I believe, three or four albums. So, um and it's all good stuff. It really is all amazing stuff. So I'm coming at this not only trying to be a a a well-rounded producer with a little bit more expertise in like sound engineering. Yeah. But I also am coming from it from a songwriter's perspective. Although I don't do that all as much anymore.
0: Yeah. I think that really from the songwriter perspective, um I didn't really start to grow in thinking about songs as the sonic color of the song, as much as of the parts, because there's there's two different, and this is what the mixing engineer, I guess, actually does. That's or the producer. Uh, so yeah,
1: break it down into into the roles that each roles. one of those yeah people sure play.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess starting from the musician, let's just let's just talk in the context of a band, like a rock band coming into the studio. Like you've written songs. You know you want to record them, so you pick out um a producer in the classic sense is somebody that is he's solely focused on making your songs
1: better called an artist that may or may not have musicians as well just for the sense of like it's a oh, band sure. but it's all it could also be just a, a vocalist that's an artist that needs electronic music yeah we could that's do what? that any any
0: Artist that has a song, yeah, <laughs> will work in this context. So a producer in the classic sense was somebody that didn't do the, he didn't actually do the recording. He didn't set up the mics. He didn't mix the song. This is like a, a guy like Rick Rubin, who's done like a ton of hit records. His whole his whole job is to be kind of a, uh, he's hired by the band to be kind of another head in the band that is. Telling the band like, I like this part, this is cool, Yeah, do this more.
1: Creative mind.
0: A creative mind, yeah. To kind of bring out the best aspects of the band. Or maybe the band hits a wall about something and the producer would be like, well, why don't you try doing this thing? Or they, the producer could also be the guy that helps organize like the session and be like, you know, you guys always do like a jam session to write music. Why don't you try doing this thing? Like that's a producer in the general sense. Now, a lot of that's gone away because those are more big budget records have the producer have that role. Nowadays, what you'll find, especially if you're like a new and upcoming artist, somebody that's not signed yet, even for people that are signed, you have this marriage of the producer is also the recording engineer at the same time. So they're not only recording your songs, but they're giving input And that could be to varying degrees because some bands, they're just like, we don't want any advice on how to do this. We just want them recorded the way that they are. So that brings up another point of when you go into the studio and you book time, I think it's good to have that conversation up front and say like, we're hiring you because we want to just have our songs tracked or we're hiring you because we want your input. We want you to make the songs as good as they can be. Because if you don't have that conversation... I've heard so many horror stories. Actually, the one band that um, I did their last single for, Autumn Day, out of... Um, they're out of Texas. And uh, I was going to say the city, but I actually don't know off the top of my head what city they're from. Because uh, they've come and seen me at a few different shows. So I just can't remember off the top of my head. But anyways, uh, Autumn Day, um, they had a horror story of going into the studio. And the um, recording engineer... He just had this attitude of superiority where like you don't you don't know what's best for you, so I'm gonna make it good whether you like it or not not his call right it' it's not your call as the engineer to do that type of a thing and unless the band specifically asked asks for that and even so, if
1: even if it comes out shoddier than it should have, yeah. It's not your call.
0: So it goes both ways. Like whether you're an audio engineer listening to this, like, I think it's good to keep in mind that like at the end of the day, like you're, it's the service industry thing. Right. You're serving the band. And also from the artist perspective, like you should have that conversation. So, you know, if you're getting a guy like that or not.
1: Yeah, and have an open mind as well. Like yeah. maybe you need the help that you don't think like, don't be that guy on the other end. Right. That doesn't want help from anyone, but could probably might maybe use it. Right.
0: Exactly. Um some of the times you'll have the producer be somebody in the band as well nowadays. That's a lucky situation. That's a very lucky situation, but it's good to have that outside mind too, somebody that's not attached to the music because so that goes back to the Rick Rubin case of producer. The whole the whole benefit of that is like when you've spent so much time in in your band or as an artist creating and honing the song and making it perfect, you've invested so much time and energy into it it's hard to be objective at that point and just say...
1: Completely agree.
0: Yeah, it's so hard to be objective and be like, this part actually isn't cool, even though it took me the longest to write this part.
1: Yeah, because you naturally just become so defensive over what you've created.
0: Yeah, and that's also the same way why, or some same reason why somebody can share something on social media and then they just get ripped apart by people that they don't have any value or understanding like the time or energy it took to create that. All they see is objectively, I like this, I don't like this.
1: Which is healthy, though, because that's, yeah. that's mm-hmm. those are the people that are going to buy your stuff or become attracted to you as an artist and are going to follow you and make you, you know, either successful or unsuccessful. Right. So that objectivity is, is crucial. It and, is. And mm-hmm. don't take it as just like, you know, they're just prejudging me or prejudging the music that I've made or whatever for, for what it sounds like, because that's what it's all about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So... So that's the producer. Um, As I mentioned too, you have like the producer, nowadays you have the producer and tracking engineer married into one. So uh, the tracking engineer, he's responsible for, he's actually recording your tracks. Uh, Normally stems because nowadays people are recording things individually. If you get into bigger studios or they have more resources, maybe a bigger space, can track all the instruments at once there's just a lot more well for one like your band has to be super tight because other way otherwise like if you have three out of four pro- performers have a good performance and then somebody's off it has to all be redone because then you have bleed in all of the microphones so it's just easier to do one at a time but they're responsible for twofold one to record all the sources and make sure that they have everything but I think also another big proponent of the tracking engineer is they'll they let the musicians know that the part has been recorded well enough and they can and they can say to somebody stop i I can work with this like don't burn yourself out doing a hundred takes trying to make the perfect take
1: also needs also is the one that tells you to take more takes if you need
0: yes exactly because they're the one with the expertise that knows it's so hard to to tell, like, if you've given your best take or, or if it's good enough, but I think having an engineer that you trust to like, they're kind of the guy that will save you time and energy if you can, if you can really trust them. And what I mean by if you can really trust them is you should really only pick a tracking engineer. And actually all of these roles, you should only pick people that you trust and not just the cheapest people. Because like, if you're only looking at it from a cost perspective, you're going to wind up being disappointed in, in the long run.
1: And even more so, don't just pick them because they're expensive. Because right. that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that they're the best or what you're looking for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that's why like, getting to know people and the conversations going into all these things are so important. So that's the tracking engineer. Um, after all the tracking's been done, you have your raw tracks. So then the next, the next phase would be mixing. And the mixing phase is, and this is what I was talking about before you asked me to, to break all this down. I guess I'll go through the rest of the phases and then we can hone in maybe more on some of the parts.
1: Yeah, we'll just accentuate the points of like the roles again. Yeah. We'll revisit them just by their name. Yeah. And then,
0: yeah. That works. So mixing is the phase where you take all of the tracks you've recorded and then you're making them through EQ and compression and other techniques you're making them all work together and sound good as a whole, and making them making them sound like the style that you're trying to emulate in a way now that goes also into recording like you can't make something that's recorded in a style that's indie rock you can't turn that into metal yeah you're you're limited as to what the raw sources are like you can still. Uh, mold them a little bit in the mixing phase but you can't take like a tone of a drum and turn it into s- something completely different yeah that's after the interesting
1: fact. i just want to just i'm not sure. gonna break this apart too much i just want to just put my input that like i could have swore that the person at least in in nowadays standards that had the authority over uh let's just keep simple terms and slang terms the vibe of the music Mm -hmm. who, who had authority over that, or at least a say so over that was the producer, not the mixer. That's interesting. I thought that the mixer was like the numbers guy that like, you know, made everything level wise sound great.
0: No. Interesting. Um, Yeah. That it, that's, that's a good point that you bring up. Um, No, when you, when you choose a mixing engineer, you're essentially choosing a sound. Because each each mixing engineer has a style that's kind of baked into what they do. Interesting. So I'm shooting be that,
1: not a producer. That's interesting. I didn't think about that.
0: Well, the producer has like overlapping roles. I th- I think that um I think that the producer the producer's more trying to get the performance out of the band and giving advice on like arrangement type of things how to make the song flow but the mixing engineer is kind of the creative side of and that and that's what i was getting into as far as in my journey of songwriting and learning how to write a good song i think when i first was learning bass i was really interested in like stuff like les claypool red hot chili peppers and now that stuff does have tone and color associated with it as well, but I was more focused on the technical side of things. What are the rhythms? What are the notes? What are the melodies? And not so much thinking about, well, how am I playing the strings and how is that affecting the tone? What amp am I using? What pedals am I using to change the tone? And as I got older, probably into my post- maybe college years, but post-college years, I started realizing a lot more that the music is only really half, the, like the sound that you hear off of an album, out of your speakers, it's really only half about like the rhythms, the notes, the melodies. And the other half is the color that all of the mics put on, that, that you capture the vocal through, the mics.
1: And the mic's placement.
0: The mic placement, the preamps that are used, the the different saturation plug-in effects and the mixing, yeah. the EQing. All of that stuff has a huge role to play in how the final thing sounds. So I guess going back to mixing, like the mixing engineer not only is... Uh, and I think this is why I gravitate towards mixing so much is because it's pretty much equally split down the middle like an analytical and creative thing at the same time because you need all of the analytical knowledge about like what you're doing to to fix things in the mix like you need to know where things lie in the frequency spectrum to fix problems and just know how to deal with audio in that way but it's also equally about the creative and knowing i want to get this emotion out of these tracks that were recorded so i use this compressor to add Movement and energy. Oh, and I
1: see. You see what I'm saying. So, so it is. It is a little bit more analytical than than I than I thought it was. Um, like a little bit more technical than I thought it was. It's not really. You don't rearrange, and substitute sound at that phase, right?
0: No. Okay. But where things get complicated gotcha. is that, now, I'm breaking down. I guess before I get into this, let's finish the rest of the steps. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. Um, we're kind of talking off the cuff here. So I hope you guys are following along with us. So we've talked about the artist, the producer, the tracking engineer, the mixing engineer. So kind of the final step, final two steps in one is pre-mastering, mastering, mastering, distribution. Pre-mastering and mastering are kind of lumped into the same thing nowadays. Uh, And what that term refers to is basically the final polish on a song. It's kind of like the final... It's a creative step, but it's also the final like quality control to make sure everything is loud and, and leveled. Loudness is a whole other issue, and I, I don't want to open that can of worms. <laughs> but We don't even have time for that. Yeah. Essentially, the mastering engineer is the one you want to be responsible for making it sound like a mainstream commercial mix. He's kind of like the guy that, and normally the mixing engineer and mastering engineer work together. Like a lot of times a good mixing engineer, he'll have a mastering engineer that he trusts and recommends to the band and that, that they have a working relationship and, and he kind of, they both know like what the one will do to the others. Um, material so like the mixing engineer mixes down a stereo file and sends it off to the mastering engineer and and they often know like what they like to get and what they'll what they'll do with that final product so is there a
1: back and forth
0: yeah there there will be a lot of back and forth and you'll have less back and forth with two guys that work together a lot and this is something I found out after the fact because I thought that like I thought before that The mixing engineer and the mastering engineer is just something the band wants to pick. Like you pick those two independently, just whatever you think will make your music sound the best. But it doesn't always work the best that way. Because if you get a mixing engineer, let's say he mixes really hot. And what I mean by he's got like really loud RMS, like all the tracks are just like...
1: What's RMS?
0: Thank you. (laughs) Uh, RMS is a basic way... Uh, It stands for root-mean-square, and it's basically a more complicated way of taking the average volume of tracks, which is how our ears perceive how loud something is. Our ears don't perceive loudness in uh, the peak levels. If you look at a mixer and you see where the peak is, that's not really what our ears hear. Our ears hear what the average level of that fluctuating sound is, and that's measured by RMS. So... Um, some mixing engineers, like one thing I like to do is I like to give myself a lot of headroom. Headroom is that extra space between where the sound level, um, where the RMS and the peaks are below zero decibels full scale, which is the loudest you possibly can make music in the digital realm before it starts distorting and sounding terrible. Uh, so you'll have some mixing engineers and and what works for me is I'll mix at negative 18. I shoot for negative 18 decibels full scale as my average, which gives me, um, for average volume level, it gives me 18 decibels of, essentially, that's dynamics to work with. And then peaking around negative like 6 to negative 3, In the mixing stage so i've given all this headroom if i send it off to a mastering engineer he has all that headroom to work with so he can further compress it and do other things with it but if you have a mixing engineer that has pegged pegged things at like negative five or six decibels full scale and you send that to a mastering house and he's like this is so compressed there's nothing i can do with this really and That's not exactly true, but you've just kind of handcuffed a mastering engineer as far as maybe all the things that he could do with your mix. And so that's why I say you should really, a a lot of times those guys will work together because if a band or an artist pick two separate people, you might pick a mixing engineer that just pegs levels and then you pick another mastering engineer that likes something with more dynamics. There's going to be a lot of back and forth induced there because the mastering engineer will be like, oh, Mixer, can you send me something that's less compressed? Right. So, but if you have people that work together, they'll know what each other like to work with a a lot more. So the mastering engineer, he takes that stereo file the mixing engineer sends, and then he basically quality controls it and makes sure that it's the best that it can be. And uh, then from there, you can get into distribution. So making the, the CD image file, sending it off to CD Baby, or love CD baby. Yeah, or you could just um, get a WAV file and send it over to you know Apple, and then have your stuff right. like uploaded to you know Apple Music or or Spotify like or whatever way you want to yeah. distribute it. I've
1: had a great experience with CD baby. Yeah, they're great. They I, we did like a for my for my other band Insult Injury. We we did like a one time fee for one album, and uh, and we were just put everywhere. Yeah. And, it, and it's to this day, you know, it's, it's on all the major music, digital music yeah, uh, sources. Yeah, I think that they're a great service to use. So yeah. we've talked through all the stages of the process. I'll
0: repeat them once again. So we've got the artist. He takes his music to the producer, producer, or they work together, the producer and the artist, with the track engineer to track your songs, send that off to the mixing engineer. He mixes them, sends them to the mastering house, the mastering engineer, then like makes that a commercial release, which you then distribute to the world for people to hear your music. Now where things get complicated is you can have the producer, the track engineer, the mixing engineer, mastering engineer, all be the same person. Yeah.
1: I was going to say, and include, (laughs) and I've seen it with the artists too, even. Yeah. Where they still produce one person or just a handful of people can wear multiple hats. I wanted to say that.
0: Yeah. So kind of the thing that I do, um, is I, I kind of do a little bit of everything. I do producing, like I helped Autumn stay with some of their songs I've been helping in their songwriting because I can be that outside. It's not like I'm an amazing producer. It's just I'm that outside person that can have you know a different perspective or look on the songs that the artist can't have because they're there. Right, And a lot of times it's easier whenever you have the one person that can do all those roles because then you don't have to pay extra people and you don't have to have more people in the room all communicating together. Not to say that you can't have benefits of having other people wear those hats. I'm just saying that this tends to be the way that people are doing things, especially on a smaller level.
1: I was going to say, especially like when you're talking like, like specific genres, like any, anything rap, hip hop, some, some new, just like strictly electronic programmable stuff. You can literally be one person, yeah, and get it from your home studio, let's say, and get it out to the door in the hands of billions of people, you know, even even through a label possibly, and people won't even know the difference. Yeah. Than if you were like a big band that, that needed to go through every process through a separate person. Right. Yeah. It's pretty crazy nowadays. It is pretty crazy, and and that's the revolution
0: of you know, the digital age of what recording has become. And maybe we could talk about that a little bit more, but, um, I guess just to give an example for me personally, like, yeah, I do a little, I dabble a little bit in everything, but my, I feel like my real bread and butter is mix, mixing. That's what I love to do the most out of all the phases. Uh, I've opened my studio up to do all of that because I feel like I can get more clientele and it can be easier for an artist as well. Like if they track yeah. with
1: me, the one-stop I, shop.
0: Yeah. I, I have the tracks. I can mix them there. Yeah. And so like an artist might be coming to me because of my mixing, but if I can record them in my studio, I've saved them, I've saved them the time, energy and money of, of having to go somewhere else and, and yeah, do that type of a absolutely. thing. Absolutely. So, um, I guess just know what you're getting into, like whoever you choose for whatever stage, you should know like, you know, what, what are their strengths and what are their weaknesses? And I, I feel like somebody that's trustworthy is going to be honest about their mm-hmm. shortcomings as much as they're honest about their strengths.
1: So speaking of shortcomings, <laughs> <laughs> so where I'm at, I want to, I just want to, I want to see if you can help me grow in this short amount of time. Yeah. Um, so I have been asked and I want to um, kind of. Expand upon and and make this a, a lucrative situation to where um, you know I've been asked to be a creative mind inside mm-hmm. someone else's music. Yeah, you know the artist is writing this music, yeah. and they're kind of giving me the bare bones. Yeah, and whether that be electronically or or through through external plugins, I was asked to creatively. Yeah, um, add. Yeah. To the composition itself. Yeah. Um, while at the same time giving it a specific emotion through the composition, not necessarily through the mix itself, but through right. w- what I'm through adding, what the add. sounds I'm putting in there, and the direction I'm taking the mm-hmm. music, the structure, the whole nine yards. Yeah. Um, what would you consider that role right there? And also, um, how can I capitalize on just being that creative mind almost like an assisting and an assistant songwriter yeah that that knows how to run um you know recording software
0: you're essentially being i would call that the producer okay it's an even bigger role than that because you're you're essentially writing with the artist too you're like a co-writer slash producer yeah at that point it's pretty dope (laughs) yeah which a lot of producers have that role nowadays too like you don't I don't feel like you find so many producers anymore that are just strictly there, not doing anything but just cheerleading the artist. Yeah, they're yeah, they're they're in essence, and I and I think uh, the biggest thing to like excel at those roles is whatever you're doing, know know the they call it know the gear, know the gear or know the program like really well that you're working with, and. I got that advice from the people at Unstoppable Recording Machine and Nail the Mix. So what I did was I read through it's so boring, but I read through the (laughs) whole manual of Studio One. And um it's just amazing, like, even though it's boring, like you learn so many things from reading that. You're like, I never knew that this could do this or this could do that. Like it's it's stupid, but like (laughs) some it's like such a big stereotype, but like guys just don't ask for directions or read the manual. But like, it's not just a guy thing, but it's like, I feel like it's a creative thing where you just want to, you want to get in the car and drive it. You don't want to read how to start it. Yeah. You know, you want to just have fun, but like, it's important to like read the manual because the, the person that created the program or the gear, they know the operating parameters. They know where it works the best. And so when you read that stuff, it, it could really, um uh, maybe help your workflow, maybe make things work faster or just give you a better understanding of like what you're doing.
1: So, okay. Are you ready for this, Ben? Yeah, go ahead. I am in 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 no way, shape, or form. I'm a guest on here, but I don't I don't know if this is gonna become a thing or not, but it is for this episode. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm gonna dream loud lightning round you, dude. Yeah, do it. Okay. I like I love lightning round stuff. <laughs> the dream loud lightning round. It's so
0: funny. I've had that idea before because a lot of other podcasts do you heard this. it first here but you're the first one to implement it on my show. Yes.
1: <laughs> All right, dude. So just because I'm Do picking it. your brain on this particular episode, Yeah. Um, give me strong, just quickly, strong software, recording software and software you should stay away from. Your opinion.
0: Oh, that's a good question. Or good. Yeah, good question. Uh, I always will recommend Studio One, but that's because I use it. Right. <laughs> I, I think that it's got a great workflow for songwriting in particular. And I've heard I'm not so much an electronic musician. I dabble in that, but I've heard a lot of electronic people love it for the for the arranging features in it. It's got a lot of cool things that you can do with like MIDI and and doing like virtual instrument type of things. Good plugins. Good plugins good just create creative workflow. Yeah. In in general there. If you want just raw lifting power for editing features and stuff like that, that would be more something a tracking engineer is looking for. Somebody that's, you know, he's recording a band or somebody's coming in and doing something live and you've got to go in and chop up parts a lot, edit them. Pro Tools is still the best at that. Yeah. Although I will say um, it's probably the least user-friendly of the modern DAWs. You really
1: have to know what you're doing.
0: You have to know what you're doing and it's just annoying and I think it looks ugly. (laughs) (laughs) I... I, it's, um, and it's a misnomer. Like People still throw the term out that Pro Tools is industry standard. The only reason it is is because it's the oldest and people still use it. It's kind of a good idea, I guess, if you really want to get super serious about... Well, not super serious. If you want to work in somebody else's studio or you want the ability to be able to go into a studio... Most often they're going to have pro tools. The guy who so recorded
1: good. every single one of my albums and all of my other bands used pro tools. Yeah.
0: So like if you're going to get hired by a studio or, or let's say you want to book time and record and just track at a studio, cause that's a possibility too. Right. More often than not, they'll have pro tools there. So it's okay. good to know if you want to do that type of thing. I think logic, logic is great too. Cubase is great. I know a lot of people that use Cubase. Okay. Um, Stuff to stay away from. They're all. I mean, they're. Pro- they've all got their strengths How and weaknesses. How do you weaknesses. feel about Ableton? I don't really know too much about Ableton. I know that it's great for syncing up things live. I mean, that was the original FL application Studio, for, uh, Fruity Loop Studio. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's what it is. I mean, I don't think it's on par with the other big heavy hitters, but right. like, I know people can do stuff and. You know, going back to your point at the beginning of the episode, uh, I'm doing a side project band called Array from the Sun with a friend that goes way back. Hopefully I'll have him on the show. He's got a great story of overcoming difficulty in his life. But um, in the side project, our lead guitar player, uh, he's in another band called Mona Lisa Smile, and they're from Pittsburgh. They're, doing, they're like pop rock type of group. And... They recorded their whole album in GarageBand and I was blown away. I forgot about GarageBand. Yeah. I was totally blown away because it sounds phenomenal and it just shows it's not so, it's not so much about the gear as it is about the I heard CeeLo Cee-
1: Green used GarageBand. Did he really? Yeah.
0: I mean, it's not as, it's not as raw powerful as the other ones, but if you know what you're doing, you can right. get good results out of it. So.
1: And it's free on a lot of platforms. That's not so much of a lightning round answer. No, but. that's okay. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, say that I'm a one one man uh, circus, and I'm a I'm I'm an independent artist, and I'm not I'm not paying anybody else. So I want to get my own. You know, I'm gonna educate myself, and I just want to get my own basic setup. Or maybe I wanna, I wanna run, I wanna turn this into like a small little uh, business or freelance gig. Yeah. And I just want to get like a like a small portable setup. What are the bare essentials that you believe that I need? And you can even n- name them by brand, if you yeah. if you feel the need to. Yeah. I think I will. Um,
0: it does depend on at the end of the day it depends on the clientele you're going out to try to get like if you're if you want to be a hip hop producer or electronic you need more power in the box because a lot of that stuff's more virtual right if you want to go out and record um you want to go and record jam bands or like jazz bands I've done this before and I will never do it again <laughs> just because their goals are different than the things that I like to do in my studio. Yeah. Like I, I worked with this jazz band and they wanted, they wanted live mics and they wanted like individual mics on like all the instruments. And I just don't have those resources to have the quality of the type of mics that yeah. I, I wanted to buy to work on rock music. uh So if you want to do something like that, like, Maybe you buy cheaper mics, but you have to have a lot of them to be able to cover like a wide variety or, or right. a group that wants to track everything live. Like that takes a lot of uh, different inputs and stuff like that. And you have to have the capacity to be able to handle that. So um, trying to make the question short, uh, I'll say that if you're going to approach things from, I just want to get singer-songwriters and or yeah. I want to get like hip-hop people right. or electronic so I would get, um, if you want to be mobile, get a laptop. Desktops are more powerful. Right. But if you want to be mobile and move around, get a laptop. Um, I'm a PC guy. I like them because they're more upgradable. Component-wise, if you want to mess with that, I built my PC. It's It sounds fancy, but it's not that hard. You just plug and play the parts that that you want. But if you want Macintosh, they make great, great products. So you can you go want to Apple. Work
1: through GarageBand or Logic. You have to go through Apple. Yeah. So there's that choice there.
0: Uh, and you want for production, you want the most powerful CPU that you can afford. Is essentially that's right. where all your power is coming from. And the more powerful it is, the more plugins and stuff that you can handle. And in every case, max out the RAM that you possibly can get. Okay. Uh, whether that's, I don't know how high they go with MacBooks now. Is it 64 gigabytes or 32? I don't know. That's a lot. It is a lot, but I, I would you think recommend it. It's necessary though. It is, if, especially if, if, especially electronic because those virtual instruments, yeah. they take up a lot of CPU. Wow. And, and the Good RAM. Yeah. So in every situation, max out and get the most RAM you can afford because RAM is cheap. Right. It's working memory. The CPU is the most expensive part. It's the brain. Uh, so after after you pick your computer, um, the next important thing is your audio interface. And essentially what that is, it's an external sound card. And you'll need, uh, whether you're working electronic music or recording live musicians, and, and in most scenarios, unless you're only doing instrumental, you're going to have at least like a vocalist singing over top. So you need some right. audio inputs to go in. To go into your computer, um, even if you're just working with MIDI controllers, right? Not necessarily. No, no? with MIDI is MIDI is different. Okay, MIDI is a different um, recording language gotcha. that your computer can use. So, I guess just talking about what the audio interface does, um, it's an external sound card, and it will take. So let's just go from the computer. Um, It will take sounds from a computer and this doesn't have to be recorded. It will take like, if you're browsing the web and anything like that, it will take now the one that we're talking into right now. It is USB powered and it works. Okay. USB is a little bit slow nowadays. Like with max, they make the lightning connections and they're very fast. So I kind of want to upgrade and get a lightning connection because they're really good, but USB works in most scenarios too. Um, but so through USB, the sound will go out as zeros and ones it's in digital language and the audio converter takes that digital information and turns it into audio and sends it out to either headphones that we're listening on to now or speaker monitors. Right. Uh, would you recommend both headphones and speakers? I would recommend now if you're mobile, sometimes speakers are the only way that you can go. Okay. I definitely recommend, um, if you're mixing, I recommend monitors because you hear music differently when it's traveling through air.
1: That depends on the room too, right? Uh there's yeah, there's a lot of yeah. things to unpack there. But, but let's just assume that you place yourself in a good in a good musically. Even if it's not a treated room, like I still think it's of benefit to use okay.
0: monitors. And another reason too is because you unnaturally the, the stereo image of your music that you're listening to, so the panning, the left and right, it's exaggerated when you have headphones on. Gotcha. So when you're listening to music that's already produced, it's hard to tell. But if you're trying to pan things and and you're making creative musical decisions on how wide I want things to be, right? the stereo image is uh, things that are in the sides. So let's say... Extremely panned guitars, like rhythm guitars on the left and right. On headphones, they sound louder than they actually are. Gotcha. They're they're pointing right into your eardrums. Yeah. So your center image, those are things like kick snare bass, vocals. They're right down the middle. Yeah. They sound quieter than they actually because things in the side fields are exaggerated with headphones. Interesting. But if you listen through monitors that are set up in a nice triangular setup, that they should be. Like your head should be one point of an equilateral triangle, and the speaker, um, the speaker, the speakers themselves or the monitors should be the other points at the yeah, ends the of the triangle. The right. yeah. yeah, when okay. you when you listen that way, it's a lot more natural to make those decisions.
1: Yeah. So we've got laptop and or desktop. Um, whether you do PC, Mac, um, any you know the recommended software he named uh, a inter- an interface. Yeah. So what interface would you recommend? I, I recommend.
0: So I brought it up on the internet here. We can look at it. Um, this is the one I started with the Presonus AudioBox USB. Uh, it has two inputs on the front that are both XLR. Work- um, yeah, XLR. And so you can plug a mic into that. But the cool thing about that one is it's also got the TS inputs, which are quarter inch guitar. Nice. And it can handle... um, Guitar signal is a different output volume than mic, but it can handle both. So you can either plug two guitars in or you can plug two mics in and record anything that way. Oh, that's very cool. It also has, I think on the back, let me... Let me look at it real quick here. Okay, it doesn't have any other inputs. It's just those two. But that's good enough to basically capture any simple sound source that you want. Right. And it's got the it's got a headphone out, so you can listen on headphones, and it's also got the two monitor left and right out. Nice. I recommend that one. It's cheap, it's only a hundred dollars, so you can't really beat the price and it and it works great for what it is.
1: Recommended speakers. Uh, Monitors, I, re- I recommend
0: the most affordable ones that I would trust are the KRK Rockets. Cool. Probably the the larger the ones that you get, the more bass response you'll get. So I think I had the sixes when I started, and they're great. You can go up to eights, but it also depends on your room size. If you have a really small room, you want the the smaller the speaker that you need. Yeah. If you get too big of a speaker, then Base it outgrows can, the room. Yeah, the bass is a little bit too out of control. Yeah, I recommend those. They're only two hundred dollars, brand new, per speaker, which is not that expensive. And uh, the one caveat I will say about them is they are scooped in the low mids, so it can be hard if you're making mixing decisions if because I they're naturally as well. yeah because they're naturally scooped. The tendency is to like you want to add more because you can't hear it there and then whenever you yeah. play it on other sound sources that you know and trust you're like why does it sound so muddy yeah and that's why because the the sub is overhyped like hip-hop sounds great on it because yeah. the subs are overhyped and the the lower mids are scooped on them gotcha. but other than that like you'll have problems with every monitor nothing's perfect
1: how many quarter inches in xlr's do i need at a base minimum
0: Okay, uh, when you said base, I didn't know if you meant BASE or BASS. B-A-S-E. Okay. So for one microphone, all you need is one XLR. And these monitors, I think the connections on the back, we'll take a look real quick so that you guys know. They have both... Okay, they have balanced trs in and xlr in, So you can either get a the cables that I have that go out of my audio interface are TRS male to XLR male, uh, or you could get the male to male TRS, and the TRS once again is the quarter inch connector. So, but as far as an XLR, XLR um, male to female is what you need for a microphone, and that's what we're talking into right now. So it just depends on like. If you just want one mic to do, you know, singing or voiceovers, yeah. you only need one. Uh, if you want to capture something in stereo, uh, then you'll need two. You need two mics.
1: All right, and just because we have to end this episode fairly soon, okay. um, let's w- let's go on, on to like a mic, and oh, great. Uh, I yeah. want you, I want I you to to recommend too. um us a good one for vocals, a good one maybe to put up to speakers, like um,
0: for. Capturing like a cabinet. Is that what you mean by Yeah, speakers? maybe.
1: I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know if we should talk about that just, just yeah, for portability. That's fine. Um, but just I don't know. You can give us price points if you think you can cover it. Yeah. Or or just give us like best like best bang for your buck. Okay, that's good. I like that. Um, I would say the best
0: vocal mic, I think, even though it's more expensive, is the Shure SM seven B. Really not expensive. And it's four hundred dollars brand new. Um the reason why I say I think it's the best is because even though it's more expensive it is a dynamic mic so it's it's only picking up really the sound source that's directly in front of it. You're not getting as much room noise. The problem is with cheaper condenser mics that you can get. They're way more sensitive to um any other room noise that you get and it's amazing an untreated room, the amount of reverberations and extra junk you get in your audio signal. So even though you might grab like a cheaper $100 condenser, you'll have to pay more money for the
1: treatment. Right. So let's not assume (laughs) that like a a room treatment and the proper shaped room is is in the budget. (laughs) Yeah. And And I don't think that you necessarily need
0: like a ton of treatment to have a great recording, but for vocals, it definitely makes a huge difference.
1: Maybe just isolate a small area for it. Yeah. Then.
0: And honestly, you can use, um, you can try using blankets too and, and cover. i heard that that's good. Yeah, you can. It, it works. It's not the best thing, but like it can help for sure. Uh, so SM7V I recommend as the best vocal mic. Um, the best all around mic is definitely the Shure SM57, which is what you most often see on the top of a snare drum. But it's great for, I think Michael Jackson used the SM... 57 to track. uh What did he track? Billy Jean, I think. So a vocalist Thumb hit song. Yeah. Michael Jackson, one of the most selling artists of all time and wealthiest tracked through a hundred dollar microphone, <laughs> the main vocals. So like it can be done a, a lot of another thing to keep in mind is that there is not a one size fits all for Mike. The way to think about mics is that they are in essence like paintbrushes are to a canvas. There's not like an artist that's going to say, I have this one paintbrush and it works for everything. A lot of artists, they have a variety of paintbrushes because depending on what they want and how to capture the emotion they need. And it's the same thing with vocalists. Like each vocalist has their own sonic characteristics in their voice. So, like Lacey sounds great on an SM7B. Other vocalists don't. They need like a condenser and stuff like so, that. So
1: starting out, at least, that's a good starting point for you. These microphones. But uh, I think I think what Ben is trying to say is he, is he encourages that uh, as you as you build yourself throughout the years, maybe just kind of collect some other microphones that are yes, highly regarded.
0: Absolutely. But the SM7B is the most versatile for sure because you can mic. We mic my bass cab with that on our Big Atlantic record, and it's sound amazing. You could mic guitar cabs, vocals, drums, awesome. they all work. Yeah. That's another dynamic mic by the way. And then another one that I just want to throw in there, I have this microphone, it's the Rode NT1. Um they also make an NT1A which is a more affordable. This one I'm looking on Amazon, it's 270 brand new. The NT1 is I believe like 2 there are 220. It's also a condenser mic and it it sounds great. Uh I don't particularly like it on my voice, <laughs> but it. So you you'd use it for vocals. You could use it for vocals. Yeah. I tracked um Josh recently acoustic guitar, and it sounded amazing on my awesome. acoustic guitar. It's a large diaphragm condenser. Awesome. Yeah, it sounds great. You could also use it on overheads. So those are three mics to pick from.
1: Is there anything else that you think that that s- someone would need as a as just a mobile t- type of artist? Or I'm sorry, a mobile type of like in recording mi- setup. We, we talking microphones. Uh nope or just As in general, the whole, the whole system. Maybe a uh, MIDI controller of some sort. Like MIDI a piano. Great.
0: I love the I have the Axiom 25, which I still I I still believe that they make. Yeah. The one thing that I did wish, now it, it does work for starting out, and I like that it's portable and small. But I also have a piano playing background a little bit, and I wish that I had more keys to work from mm-hmm. because it doesn't really make sense for if you're playing more than one hand. Right. If you want to play chords and stuff you want. Probably at least a forty nine. Yeah, but twenty five you can get by. Cool. Doing stuff for MIDI controllers. Is um,
1: there anything else on a base level that you think that someone would need? Um, well, I guess we we touched briefly
0: on headphones. Uh, I would say I would recommend in ears if you're doing okay. If you're an artist and you're tracking, I would recommend the Shure. You're actually listening on them right now, the Shure SC215s. Yeah, for tracking because if you have over-the-ear headphones, sometimes you can get mic bleed, and the music you're listening to can come through the mic. But with isolating, yes, with isolating headphones like or in ears, uh, you're gonna eliminate a lot of that bleed. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. So that's as as a tracking person. You have to pay a little bit more to get nicer headphones, unfortunately. I'm listening on the Audio-Technica M40X headphones, and they're okay. I I don't like how overhyped the bass is on them because things can tend to sound muddy. I also have a pair of Sony M405. I forget what they're called. They're HD405s or something like that. Something and or other. Something or other. And they have really nice sizzle. They have an overhyped like high end. And it, so they make things sound really nice up there. But they're also super scooped, so it's really hard to hear the mid-range. And, and
1: just to clarify, you're you're recommending headphones as part of your setup for tracking purposes, not for necessarily mixing purposes. If you
0: mix on headphones, the the biggest thing you need to do is use reference mixes. Yeah. Because you can get so... I guess disillusioned by what you're hearing, because the the way that our human, the way that we perceive the world as human beings is we perceive change. Uh, we perceive change a lot easier than we perceive um, like subtle, dif- subtle, subtle differences. Like drastic changes are more easy for us to observe than mm. subtle changes. So the longer you work on something the more you lose context of like what what I'm actually doing to the mix. And that's also why I recommend working really quickly. But with headphones and because of the way that they're placed on your ear and it's not a natu- as natural of a way to hear sound sources, uh, you need to flip back and forth a lot. Like So what I'll do is I'll import um, mixes of songs that I like a lot. And this is from other artists and stuff like that. So... Um, I'll import those into my session. Like, let's say I really like the drum tone on this and I'm working on drums. So I'll import that into my session and then I keep flipping back and listening to, okay, what's that goal sound source that I'm trying to go for? And then I'll try to get that out of the snare drum or or whatever it is. Or let's say it's a song that I really like the vocal performance of, um, and I keep flipping back and forth, and I'm like, that's my goal. I'm shooting for that. So I just recommend referencing a lot if you're using headphones, even more so than with monitors.
1: I think we've tackled everything, though. Yeah. Do you um, have any more questions as far as what to get for a setup? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Is there a way that you know you can you can get viewer questions and just like answer them like post episode? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when this episode drops and goes
0: live, uh, you can reach out on our Facebook page um, on any of the posts that we make, or you can just in the discussion, uh, just post any questions if you guys have any more that this episode has brought up. I know we've kind of rambled on a little bit about a bunch of different things. We talked about all the stages of recording and mixing and mastering and then What can somebody use to get started? And I think I've focused a little bit more on like a singer-songwriter or electronic type of vibe. Something that's a little bit more simple. You only need like virtual instruments. Obviously, things get a little bit more complicated. If you're recording a a full live drum set and you want 12 to 16 mics on it, you need more inputs than the audio... um, interface that i suggested
1: and obviously with yeah. more
0: inputs you pay more money to the get way that. i look
1: at it is the less electronic your music becomes the more money you must have to stack into all of your external
0: uh, yeah. tools yeah so in wrapping up i want to talk about where people can maybe find out more information because we've just scratched it's a good idea the the surface of the iceberg Uh, as far as learning about all of these things. And the perfect way would be through the School of Music that you started last year. Why don't you tell us all about that?
1: Yeah, so uh, I run a school uh, called Sozo School of Music. Um, We uh, are restructuring this year and focusing a lot, uh, probably, yeah, no, our core attention on um, centering the entire school around an online platform um, so that you know, many more things can be accessible to many more people and, uh, that, that'll just push, you know, the usefulness that we're trying to provide onto yeah. to as many people as humanly possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely guys. And so where can people find out more information about that and how can they sign up? Uh, what classes do you offer and how can they sign up if they want to?
1: Yeah. So, uh, currently we offer, um, drums and percussion, uh, violin, bass. Guitar and music production, which I'll be teaching. Yeah, it's music technology, um, which yes, our buddy Ben is going to be teaching. And uh, we have all kinds of good stuff happening um, when it comes to just the regular school courses. Um, but we're also adding in, you know, some extra goodies uh, mm-hmm. that that will be coming very soon. Awesome. Um, you know, like uh, pre-recorded courses. Um, you know, specifically pertaining to. Etiquette inside the studio um, yeah. as a particular musician. Um, I think that's great, especially the pre-recorded,
0: because then you can learn at your own pace.
1: Right. Yeah. That's that's the goal there, and that it, it's a nice, a really nice compact package. Um, there's no free flow. You know, mm-hmm. it's very structured. It's very well thought out. It's yeah. premeditated. You know, yes. it's not on the fly as much. Um, you know where you get the interactive side mm-hmm. of the uh, Skype courses, the Sozo Skype courses that'll mm-hmm. be coming around very soon. Um, with the pre-recorded courses, um, you get that interactive through the through the Skype courses. You get much more premeditated structure yes. through the pre-recorded courses. So you get you get really really good benefits on either side. Yeah. Um, but I think what what really sets them apart is. Uh, the Skype courses are going to be our semester-based courses Mm -hmm. pertaining to the instruments and how they can be used in real-life application, along with music technology and how that's used in real-life application. But the pre-recorded courses are being very hyper-specific upon instrumentation in a studio. Gotcha. You know, how to tune drums, how to mic drums, how to write drum drum parts, Mm -hmm. um... Same, same goes with guitar, bass, yeah, and uh, so on and so forth. And hopefully very soon we'll be adding a vocal coach awesome. and a piano instructor as well. That is, uh, that's our goal. That's
0: very exciting stuff. So where's the best place that they can go to sign up or find out this information? You can,
1: you can reach all of that through the hub of www.sozomusic.us. S-O-Z-O music dot U-S awesome Zach thank you so much it was a pleasure buddy having you on again thank
0: you man and I'll wrap this up guys I hope that we've encouraged you to dream loud we've covered a lot here like I've said already a couple times but if you have any questions don't hesitate to reach out to me or Zach on Facebook we'd be happy to interact with you absolutely or on um, the dream loud podcast uh, Facebook page post your questions there and we will get back to you but I hope you guys have a killer week and that we've encouraged you to dream loud. Take care.